Here it is. You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Libby Supan. She's got a fucked up story about becoming a therapist. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be positively terrible. Hey, Scott. Hey, Dan. Uh, you've been practicing the intro, it sounds like. Man, you- I think it's because I got my COVID uh, booster shot today, and I, I, got, uh, I, got, I got lots of energy from that. Is that how that works? I, I don't think that's exactly how it works. No, it's not. I did just take a nap, and I think that's why ooh, uh, ooh. I've got so much energy at the Big moment. Big fan over here. What I did today was my second dose of medication after getting into the long COVID clinic. So hopefully things are going to start to get better. Um, Excited about that. It's actually made it difficult to take naps, though. This drug is to help me uh, have some energy. And two days in a row, I kind of missed my naps, but that's all right. But we've got Libby here today. Libby, how do you feel about naps? How do I feel about naps? How do I feel about them? I feel jealous because (laughs) I am a person that can't take naps physically. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Wait, is that what you're here to talk about today? That no. sounds traumatic. Okay. No. Well, then what are you here to talk about? Well, I was going to talk about uh, my story about becoming a therapist and how it all started with having an eating disorder. Okay. Wow. Well, thanks for uh, being on. We, we appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, without a doubt. So eating disorder. Um, I, I think that you're going to educate us a little bit today. I um, hope so. Because there's Hopefully. a lot, a, a lot that I don't know, but I kind of want to start with you. We start, we start with a little background of all our guests every week. So can you tell me a little bit about who, who you are, who you are in general, what you were like growing up, those type of things? Yeah. Okay. Should I start with growing up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Where'd you grow up? Where did I grow up? Okay. So I've always lived in California. I was born in the Bay Area. Then as a family, we always moved for my dad's jobs. So very, very young. I don't even, I don't remember being born in the Bay Area. And so very young, we moved to central California and I lived there up until high school. And this has to do with everything. And after eighth grade, we moved as a family back to the Bay Area for, again, my dad's job situation. And this was a very traumatic experience for me and kind of the last straw for the development of my eating disorder to shine through, if you will. Um, Yeah. So now living in the Bay area, well, I guess, okay. So that's where I'm from and where I've lived. And then after high school, I like just had to get out. So I escaped down to Southern California and I've been in Long Beach ever since. And yeah. Okay. So that's where I've I, lived. I'm, and the, I was going to say, yeah. I just made my first appearance in Long Beach this year. So You did? Um, yeah. I mean, very briefly um, on my way to a bachelor party weekend for, for Francis, neighbor Francis, who was episode two, I think. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. we don't need to plug the old episodes. All right. So move to Long Beach. Okay. That's awesome. Um, well, I want to ask you about Long Beach, but I will. Um, <laughs> where, like, where, where did you go in Long Beach? Uh, I don't know. Um, like to the airport? <laughs> that w- it was literally for like a day and okay. stayed at yeah, a yeah. shitty hotel and then headed off to the, the, the actual destination. Got it. Okay, cool. I um, went to so LA once I... when I was five and I also stayed in a shitty hotel. But <laughs> wow. that shitty hotel was featured in the movie Gleaming the Cube with Christian Slater, one of the best 80s skateboard movies of okay. all time. And... It has a fantastic theme song. The biggest thing about the 80s movies is they had their own theme song for the movie. They had the name of the movie in the theme song. It was and a awesome. Montage. 
the montage. The, yeah. That was, that was very 80s. And Dan, thank you, because you asked us to keep it tight tonight. So um, <laughs> this is helpful. It, it really is. Um, I love we'll, we'll, <laughs> uh, and, and And everyone knows that I'm, I'm just as bad as anyone else at the tangents. But uh, we're, we are going to try to keep it tight. So Libby, I'm going to yeah. go back to, uh, going okay. back to you. You're, you're yeah. in Long Beach now. Yeah, so I'll give you a little like uh, brief summary of kind of who I was as a kid and a teen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was very perfectionistic and a very kind of anxious child. Um, straight A's. I was really into dance and cheer and gymnastics. I was into um, sports that are not team sports. <laughs> I did every sport, but I ended up um, the sports I was actually good at were like track and field. Um, like running that kind of like individual sports. I'm not into like throwing balls. Like (laughs) (laughs) that's not at all. You know what I mean? Anyways, basketball (laughs) is like being flown at my face. Not my thing. Anyways. So I was like, I did all the things. So like thinking about my eighth grade year, I remember, um, and it all stemmed from a parent and like kind of her living her dream through her children and making her children be what she wanted herself to be and never had. So it was like, I was, I mean, and this sounds so silly, but like ASB secretary, I was on junior high cheer. I was the captain of the cheer team. I was on competition cheer. I was on a competition gymnastics team. I was also on a performance dance team in a whole nother studio. I was straight A's. I had lots of friends. So it was just a lot all the time. And I remember, yeah, lots of pressure. And I remember my mom in the summer once, and that, that, all of that was already going on. And she wanted to drop me off at, a, at another cheer tryout for another competition team. And I remember hiding in the back of the minivan, like in that little like cubby that I think is like the trunk, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like wouldn't get out of the car. I was like screaming and crying. And it was so embarrassing because like all the you know girls could see me. Anyways. I refused to try out for, for that thing because it was just too much. So then we moved and I have zero friends. And um, so that's the summer after eighth grade you move. Yes. And in junior high, um, I was pretty popular. I had tons of friends. I was like, I belonged. I fit in. I was like really good in my dance studio. And so we moved to the Bay area and it was like everything in my world changed. So I'm not racist, but maybe this is a form of racism. I'm not sure. I'd like to think I'm not racist. But when we moved to the Bay Area, there was all different types of cultures and ethnicities that I'd never seen before. So like Tongans, Samoans. And I lived in Bakersfield, California, which is like hodunk, white, Mexican, some black, some Asian. And that's about it. So it was very like, whoa, okay, this is different. Um, Again, everything was opposite. So getting good grades was dorky. Being on cheer was dorky. I didn't have any friends. So I, that was the year that I started engaging in behaviors. It always scares me when I hear someone say, I hope this isn't racist, but I don't think that was racist. 99, <laughs> 99% of the time when someone says those words, it is racist, but I know I a similar, I, I grew up in a town of 700 people and 685 of us were white people. So I get it. And I remember coming to the city to Chicago where I live now as a child to watch baseball games with my family. And I would look stare at, black people because i'd only seen them on tv and you know it was just a new experience for me and i was a child so absolutely understandable things were different it was a different world for you and that is one of many elements it sounds like that had changed yeah so a lot of stuff that i didn't even say about my upbringing is what was going on in the home is dad total workaholic so like we barely see dad mom is a stay-at-home mom and like i said she and i have two sisters she put a lot of pressure on us to do all the things and especially me for whatever reason like i was told that i was the leader 
I was kind of like the boss. I didn't want to be any of this, but like my mom instilled these messages. Like you're a leader. Everyone wants to be your friend. People look up to you. You don't see it. I see the kids at school looking up to you. And it was like, okay, like, what are you talking about? So I just always felt like. You said perfectionist before. Does that make you feel like you have no margin to make mistakes that you've got to be perfect all the time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Like I I was already like that. Yeah. And then that then there's this more like of an external pressure as well. Um, so that's going on. So again, like my dad's kind of like not home very often and it's mom all the time. And mom hated her body. It was kind of her whole life, her whole existence. So in our home, it was either mom's on a diet and everyone starves or mom's not on a diet. And it's like Costco heyday. And the house is like <laughs> filled with like uh, the most delicious things. How many Costco. pizza rolls did you eat when, 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 that, when we were in that stage? Was was it a pizza roll house? Was it a um, no hot pockets? I would, was it more toaster strudels? So it was it was totally like the hot pockets, the top robin, and more of like the candy crackers, chips, cookies was like kind of my oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. so into meals as a kid. I guess I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so watching well, in my the right mom, setting, you can have a meal out of cookies for sure. One hundred percent. Yes, I gave you permission to do that. Um, yeah, so watching my mom just kind of uh, like black and white, right? Like it's either diet or not diet. And so when mom was on a diet, she wouldn't go grocery shopping, and she would kind of have her diet food, whatever diet, in like the special part in the cupboard, and say like, you know, you kids can't eat this food. This is mom's food. And again, my dad wasn't really home, and. My dad is truly like holistically a healthy person. And so again, it was like, dad gets home from work and goes on a run. Mom never moves her body. All she talks about is like needing to join a gym to lose all the weight for the whatever reunion or Mm -hmm. event or whatever. And so dad gets home, mom's on a diet and we're all starving. And dad pops some like Brussels sprouts in his mouth and is like, dinner, delicious. We're like, "Eh, I guess we'll have Cheerios again. And then mom's not on a diet and it would be like, yay, like whatever it was, you know. So really just growing up, watching my mom do all of that. And really like I, as a kid, I couldn't understand because what I saw my mom doing was not exercising, but all she did was talk about it. Dieting being on a diet, like putting all this money, time and energy into this diet thing. Yet I would like, not all the time, but sometimes I would like, you know, at nighttime, you know, wake up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water, walk out into like the kitchen area and then see my mom just like compulsively eating like a whole bag of Hershey kisses. And I remember the first time I saw that being terrified. Like I, I couldn't understand it. It was almost like I saw like a monster, like what, why would she do that? Like, she's trying so hard to do this diet thing. Like, I do, how can she eat so much? Like, it was just mind boggling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And then the other thing that happens is when you have a parent, mom or dad, that talks badly about their body size or shape or really anything about their body, what they're doing to their children without knowing it, I'm going to assume they don't know it, give them the benefit of the doubt is like, so as a kid, my mom hates her body. All she does is talk crap about her body. So the message I get is like, well, wait a second. If my mom hates her body and I came from my mom's body, like, what does that say about my body? And it was this message of like the worst thing in the world is to be F-A-T. Yeah. I couldn't even say the word. The only times we say the word is when my sisters and I really want to like get at each other. Like, well, you're fat. And it was like, oh, that is the worst thing you could say to us. Are you a fat five? And it was like, dad, you'll never believe. Anyways, it was like the worst insult. So I lived in a world where, and I'm not special or unique in this. So many of us do live in a world where the idea of being fat is the most terrifying thing. Well, and there's even judgments assigned to to being you know, overweight or, and you can correct me. I know that you, you, you explained that there's language we use now that we didn't use in the past to talk about this type of stuff, but it's not just a physical for whatever reason. And it might be less so today. Maybe it's more, I don't know, but 
there is a value assigned to it and it's being yes. lazy or lacking self-control yes. or discipline. And so it's not just how do I look, which also is important when you're talking about this type of stuff. It's mm-hmm. also all the other negative baggage that that is assigned to the word fat. Right, right. You're lazy, you're dumb, all of the things. And when you're thin, you're successful, you're smart, mm-hmm. you're motivated, you're healthy. Um, so, yeah, so I just like lived in that world and I was super fat phobic, super fat phobic. I never had like food issues until, like I said, we had that move, which was very traumatic for me. Um, and I'll just be transparent because I think your episodes are, everyone is really transparent on them. Um, I have always had depression. Like it's always kind of been there, but it really came out during that move. And my, it, it was the summer before freshman year in high school. So freshman year in high school was like one of the worst years of my life. And just so depressed. Like, I'll never forget. Like, I would hide out in the dance studio at lunchtime because I had no friends. And I just remember, like, hiding even in the corner of the dance studio. So, like, if somebody walked in, they wouldn't see me. Because, like, God forbid, like, somebody see that Libby doesn't have friends, even though nobody knew who I was. Like, I was the new kid, you know? Um, But it was just, like, my whole world was just turned upside down. I had no one to talk to. And... Uh, like, so, okay. all okay. What are you going to do? Get better. So you're really going to get straight A's now. Not that, I mean, how much more straight A's can you get? <laughs> um, I also couldn't try out for cheer my freshman year. Cause I like missed the cut, the tryout date in oh, the wow. summer. So that was just devastating to me. Cause it was like, that was my opportunity to make friends. So I couldn't do it. Um, freshman year. Wait, I was on freshman cheer. No, I ended up joining late. That's what I did. Um, but it was just interesting because cheer was considered like to be dorky and I was really good. And so I was always the captain. Um, like I ended up coaching cheer and teaching dance and all that stuff. But um, yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. So freshman year, really depressed. I was definitely suicidal. I have a diary from that time and it's, I'm very careful of like when I open it because looking at it just breaks my heart for my younger self. Wow. Um, and it's just so interesting to me as to like how things are so different today in our world. Like the teens that I work with, they're so vulnerable and, and I'm just always so impressed and proud how they can just say their truth. Like I couldn't say one truth to anybody when I was a teenager. Um, so, okay, let's see, where, where are we? So yes. Okay. So I started restricting food. That's how it started. Okay. And I started like just not eating at lunchtime at school. Tell us a little about the thought process of why was that just part of your, like, I'm going to get better at everything thought process. Like, is that like the next step to like getting better straight A's than straight A's just one more thing that like you actually had some control over. Right. So I guess the thought process is, well, because I had like no distractions, like I didn't have friends, I didn't have a social life. I'm now like really not getting along with my sisters. I hate my parents because they made me move. I hate everything about where I live. Like nothing is familiar. So it was kind of like for the first time I wanted to lose weight. So I saw, I, I now saw a problem with my body size. I, I wanted to lose weight. That would make me better. And, it, and yes, it has to do with all of it. Like yeah. I needed to be a better dancer. So we joined a new dance studio that was re- a really good dance studio. And I wasn't the best one. So like that was scary, but I knew I was at a good studio. So that was a good thing. You know, good grades. Um, yeah. Restricting food. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Are we hearing a dog? Is, is that? Yes, the, I knew you were okay. going to hear it. <laughs> That's it's, okay. Um, I, I was looking around my room. I was looking around my room like my my dog is literally laying with his head against the the leg of a record player, like an old yeah. 50s record player, a whole sh- uh, cabinet. And I saw he was knocked out. So I'm like, oh, wait, that's not coming from my side. So if you yeah. hear the jingling listeners, uh, it is the charm of the it is. Of, of, of doing these remote. But anyway, and, sorry. And now we have it. some whinies. 
Nice. So there are three dogs in this room. Apology. All yeah. good. I've got I've got three cats in this house plus the dog, so you might see some of those. And uh, Dan and I are both ADHD, so we heard the jingling, and uh, I have no idea where we were at anymore. I have ADHD too, and I know. And I was thinking the same thing, like, hey, where are we? <laughs> um, restricting food. Why are we restricted? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah it just was kind of like we were at dance studios, ahead. and you were just at the good. The really good dance studio, but you weren't the best anymore. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I started restricting food and I guess what that looked like is it's, yeah, it started with, and I'm not going to be specific because I, I never want to trigger anybody or give anybody ideas if they didn't, didn't already, but I, I basically cut my breakfast into like a third of what I used to eat. And I would like, I was all about volume because I wanted to feel full. So I would make things bigger with water and just, I mean, it was awful. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'll just give you a little example of kind of what it was like. So I wake up in the morning. Great. It's another day. I hate it. Uh, like, how is this day going to be going to the kitchen? I would cut half, half the bagel, put it in the toaster, no butter. Um, I would have, this much orange juice. That was my breakfast. But as I'm making it, as I'm putting the bagel in the toaster oven, I know my dad's right behind me. Dad, are you going to clean that? And it's like, I'm standing here and I'm cleaning it as you're saying that. So it was just perfectionistic household, you know, and I love my dad. He's my favorite person. Um, and I'm very clean today and I thank him for it, but it was just <laughs> constant. You know, it's like I'm eating my perfect breakfast that I know I'm still going to be hungry, but like, that's what you do. I still have some homework because I, you know, couldn't stay up past one to do it. Dad's now on me about these crumbs. I hate everything. I'm so angry. I pack my lunch. That's like safe food. So like some like fat-free saltine crackers, jelly bellies were like a safe food for me. Back then it was like fat-free everything because, you know, diet culture, like we always go through these dumb phases. Does it still say that on a bag of Twizzlers? I remember it always said fat-free and it's like. Do you want to know my favorite thing? When Mm. everyone got into like, oh, (laughs) gluten-free, Red Vines started saying, um, as always, gluten-free. And it's like, why did you need to say that? (laughs) Um, If it's always been gluten-free, like who cares? I know. Yes, Red Vines. Um, Not like those twisters. So yeah. You're right. Um, so yeah, then at lunchtime, I would hide out. I like would eat as little as I could. I would try to get full off of like little, like I said, try to add volume to things. Um, when I, so sophomore year, I did, I was on cheer now and I, I did have some friends. I, I still never felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of always felt this like panic like a constant kind of like nervous system, like on edge, like at any point I I'm going to get jumped, like, because I was threatened to be jumped. Like I just, I didn't fit in like, and this was my experience. So maybe if somebody from high school is listening to this, they might think differently, but people didn't like me. I was bullied by like the popular girls. It was awful. Um, Did this panic? I'm like really going off on tangents. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, You said it was like a panic. Did the, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I heard everything you just said. You talked about your dad. And to me, when I hear those things like you're about to clean up, that's kind of nitpicky to me. And I know that when someone does that to me, I want to do the exact opposite. And yeah, but were you so did that mean that you were on edge at home as well as at school? Or, Everywhere. Okay. I didn't have anywhere. Where I felt safe. Okay. Another thing going on that's really big, and I'm not going to be specific about it, is physical abuse. Um, we were, phys- me and my sisters were physically abused for many years up until I finally hit the person back when I was a junior in high school. And um, that was the last time they ever hit me. So that was a big part of it too. Um, okay. So I kind of like had all the like lovely little factors to develop an eating disorder. And then it was kind of like this traumatic move was like the kicker for me to engage in behaviors. So most people, especially the young people that have disordered eating or eating disorders, start out with restricting food or going on a diet. 
And most people cannot hold on to that for so long. You just can't. There are true anorexics out there that truly like are just restrictive, but I couldn't do it. I remember my first binge. I was a senior in high school and I remember coming home from like being out with friends. It was like 11 o'clock at night and we had a bag of, I'll never forget. It was like this size bag for the listeners. I don't know what, Yeah. not like the huge family one, but like, okay. I don't know. All right. So somewhere like between. Five dollar bag. Uh, okay. Yeah. There we go. A bag of what? Anyway. Oh, yes. Ruffle, cheddar, sour cream potato chips. Got it. It's like a whole That's normal a- bag of potato chips, but not family size. Yeah. Correct. So I remember sitting in the kitchen and like having one and I just couldn't stop. And I remember eating them thinking, God, this, this is so weird. I was a little bit like mm, disassociated, but like kind of present. I remember my mom walking in and saying, oh, honey, you're going to make yourself sick. And I thought, yeah, this is weird. And I then actually got sick and I threw up unintentionally. I didn't make myself. And I was so freaked out because in my life, getting sick, like vomiting was and still is so scary and traumatic. I cry every time. It's just awful. So anyways, it was just a very scary moment. So that was my first binge. And, And can I ask you a question real quickly? Yeah. Your mom may not have recognized it in that moment, but do you think that, I mean, just based on the way she was judging her own self, do you think that she would have seen doing whatever it takes to be at the the body type that she wanted? Do you think she'd have thought that that was okay? Like, I don't even know how to answer this. They didn't see anything. Okay. Um, wow. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Backtrack. My mom did make me go to a therapist freshman year because I did lose a significant amount of weight okay. where people were starting to like say things. And of course, in my sick brain, I was like, yes, even more, do more, do more. Right. Because that's what happens. Um, so I did have to go to a therapist when I was a freshman. And I remember sitting there like this. Arms I didn't crossed. say one word. I'm going to describe it for the listeners. Arms crossed. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, with okay. with probably less of a smile than she has right now. <laughs> so pissed. Yeah. I didn't speak okay. one word. That's better. Yeah. And everything was like I just remember being in that room with my mom, the therapist, and thinking, "I'm not the problem. My mom's the problem. Wow. Like I'm not going to say a word. So I'm the I, normal one." I have a question about that. Your mom was in the room in therapy. Was this considered like yeah. family therapy or is that just how it's, I don't know how it's done with children. Yeah. 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 So typically speaking with adolescents or minors, um, if it's individual therapy, the first intake session at some point, typically, I mean, every therapist is different, but like for me and my clients, I will have, whether it's, you know, the adolescent first alone or both parent and adolescent first mm-hmm. and then adolescent second. Mm-hmm. But when I do intakes with adolescents, Um, I, yeah, I definitely have a section with just the adolescent and then adolescent with parent. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that's what happened with, in my experience too. So my mom was there and then she left and then I was like, no, I'm not talking. So anyway, that was my therapy experience. All right. Does that make it hard to trust the therapist when your mom? Which part? Oh, my mom being there. Yeah. I mean, just in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you had the first major binge. And okay, then so you're gonna go on. when it really got bad. So when I was restricting, and for most people out there, when you're restricting, it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't feel like you have a problem. It's you have kind of a high, you have this like numbness about you and kind of a high. And oftentimes you feel better than kind of like, I'm the one that gets it. Like, I'm doing it right. Like, okay. everyone else is doing it wrong. Like, there was truly the thinking. Yeah. And so kind of like, I have one up on everybody. Like I have this kind of like almost superpower, if you will. So I go to college and I was terrified of this thing called the freshman 15 of going in the dining halls. So I did not go into my dining halls for one whole month. And I remember my roommates seriously being like, Libby, you have a problem. Like you have to eat a meal at some point. Cause I just ate snacks and snacks and snacks. But, um, So I go into the dining hall and as you know, like dining halls are, I think usually buffet and I just couldn't stop. I couldn't 
stop eating. And it was like, everything just kind of became a joke. So everyone knew Libby is like, I don't remember my, I had so many nicknames because of like my eating issues, like the grizzly, the alien, um, Libby's going to attack. Are you having a day? Was that good natured or bullying? It was like, I want to say good natured because nobody knew. Right. You know, I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know how to talk about it. And I felt like I was seriously the only one, like I didn't see anyone else doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I would break the frozen yogurt machine in the dining hall, like almost every other day, like break it to where it doesn't stop coming out. (laughs) And I would have to like run from it. I did it again. (laughs) Um, But anyways, I mean, it's hard to talk about like how bad it was or, or it can be with having an eating disorder. It's like, I, you know, I wake up at 4 a.m. I'm out the door at 4.30 to go on an hour run. Right after my run, I drink water. Right after that, I go on an hour and a half rollerblading. Then I go home and shower. I go to class. Then after class, I go to the gym on campus. I do weights for an hour. Then like I do more homework. And then I have a three-hour cheer practice because I did cheer in college. Okay. Uh, I, it was just constant. But in between, binging restricting like binge and and then getting drunk and I was in a sorority that I don't want to talk about but like (laughs) drinking and then the binges were even crazier when drinking and then stealing food stealing food oh my god I remember the first time I did that I was in the dorms and it was my my poor roommate she would go away on the weekend to go stay with her boyfriend and she was totally like a normal eater and she had a little snack bin of normal things like starburst and doritos and cookies they would be gone and then i would have to replace it but i would replace it in a way that she knew because like she'd be like wait when i left there was like three gone now there's none gone and i'd every time like i'm so sorry like i did it again um so yeah i mean and 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 i i became friends with people i so in college i did find some people that were disordered but i didn't think of it as like i would think People that were like diety and really good at exercise, like those were like healthy people to me. And those are the people I wanted to be friends with. But I was like the only one doing the binging thing. And it was so shameful. And my weight, I could not stop gaining weight. And it was like constant. It was up 20, down 10, up 30, down five, up 30, down 20. I mean, just constant and everyone commenting on it like oh you gained weight again or oh you look so good like what did you do and the constant messages and the constant questions about what are you eating today what diet are you on because it's like all I talked about it was my whole world I remember having boyfriends and I remember this one boyfriend of mine in college we didn't talk for a couple days and I remember being so upset and offended because by the time We then talked like two days later, I was on a different diet and like, I can't tell you like how much has happened in the last two days. Like I'm on a different diet. I haven't even told you about it. Like That was what was important to me. You know, it's just so sad. Um, And yeah, I ended up having to quit college cheer because I could not fit in my uniform anymore. And I refused to get a bigger one. I just, I like, emotionally wouldn't do it the biggest I was the most weight I gained is when I ironically worked at Jenny Craig so I was a nutrition major because I thought that was my solution like if I just know like with the facts like I'll, I'll get it like I I really thought it was like knowledge about food like the more I know about nutrition I'll get better that was actually making me sicker because the information I was receiving was diet culture right because I thought dieting was what you're supposed to do and healthy right and i can't i know i'm saying a lot of words no no i I find this fascinating uh, fascinating and podcasts are known for having a lot of words it's it's (laughs) kind of the primary primary way we communicate here Uh, but when you um you just said your major uh was nutrition because you thought and and now you're what's your what, what is your career yeah, therapist. therapist. And yeah, it sounds like that that was the progression to, okay, first thing you thought that that was related and 
based on your life experience that sent you down the path to to go to actually where the the, the true problems lie, which are inside. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I had five different majors. Um, I was just everything in my life was lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, what career path. Fortunately, I ended up graduating with communication studies as a major, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And I, this is a true fact. And I know because I wrote it all down. <laughs> I had 65 jobs before I became a therapist. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so college. Um, in college, like maybe my junior, senior year, I started... Mm, yeah, junior year in college is when I finally saw a counselor on campus to talk about my eating disorder. But I now know you really need to go to a specialist. And when you're a college student and you have no resources or funds, like, you know, slim pickings. So, yeah, I went to a person that was lived in our diet culture society and she would suggest things that were not good. But I don't blame her, you know. Right. And so just everything I was doing was making it bigger instilling the eating disorder even more my insurance so okay i graduate college i now i'm like on a mission to get better my insurance denied 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 i wasn't sick enough to get into treatment for my eating disorder i wasn't underweight so because uh yeah they a lot of insurance companies they're getting better but they usually use weight as a barometer and it's like no people with eating disorders live in all bodies um So what I did, because I needed to be resourceful, is I joined a 12-step program that I was part of for 15 years. And um, for me, in my experience, now looking back, it was one of the worst things I did. Um, Their kind of model was um, you refrain from all your binge foods, so you don't eat white flour or sugar. And anytime you do, you broke your abstinence and you start all over. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't get better. Um, I, and I was going to take my life if I didn't get better. So because of that, I told myself if I actually get better, because I can't imagine that being a thing, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help other people because I, fucking know what it's like this is hell i didn't choose this like how do i get out of this so um obviously i finally did get better i was finally like my insurance like allowed me to go to outpatient treatment when i really needed residential but i you know take what i was given and i wasn't given enough time in treatment either but at least it was like the seed was planted i finally learned that what i had been doing was the problem. It was like, I finally learned that, oh my gosh, wait a second. The restriction is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and, it started back in high school. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of an incredible realization, especially when there were times that you thought the things you were doing were helping so much. And yeah. I, I tend to look at like my generation growing up in the eighties and realizing just how little was known about food and nutrition and yeah. all of that stuff at home. And, yes. you know, I, I feel like there's a generation of people who had to learn some things the hard way. And it, I'm not going to say that it was the generation or you know, that, that led to your situation, but it absolutely, I mean, you said earlier, I can't remember if this is in the pre-talk or when we were recording, but that people, the, the younger generation know so much more now and will talk more and it, it is incredible. And I think, you know, hopefully it shows that that's part of the reason Dan and I are here because we come from a generation that didn't have this stuff, that didn't talk. And right. I'm so happy to see the changes that are happening. Um, sure. And, you know, I, I'm going to go back to kind of saying that, like, your weight has been seen as, like, a value judgment, you know, value a value. And I am guilty of it myself, right? I, I can 
have conceptions about misconceptions about myself. Uh, I'm learning now that a lot of my weight gain happens because I forget to eat because of my ADHD and it's just easier to eat the fastest and usually the last calorie thing when you suddenly go from not knowing you're hungry to wanting to eat your starving. (laughs) Yes. So there's so much more to it. And I know I hear workout, workout, workout when 80% from my understanding is what you eat. And I also understand that like the food pyramid, things have changed since I was a child and I'm not even going to get in to the corporate lobbying that results in certain things being touted as healthy and got to drink your milk, got to do this, got to do that. Right. Um, So we could talk for hours, hours. I would love to even. So Libby, um, you... How long did it take for you when, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm losing my words well, right now. Let's go, let's go post-college to finally getting approved by insurance and seeing a therapist. Okay. What's that time frame? How long was it from the time you were out of college till you actually were seeing a therapist about the actual issues? Okay. So I, I did meet, I still have my same therapist and she specializes in, is in eating disorders, but she's outpatient. It was like, you know, what most people think of therapy once a week sessions. Um, and I needed treatment. I needed more. Like this was not going to cut it. I was also in group therapy. So it was like every week I was doing individual and group and it just wasn't enough. I was also doing the 12 step program that was making me sicker. Um, so how many years was that? Let me think. Okay. So it was, I graduated when I was, all right, we're getting out the abacus. Almost like eight years. Okay. okay. So I had I had an eating disorder for twenty years. Yeah. So you're coming up on thirty ish. Um. At around that time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah. So I went to graduate school, and I'll never forget the ten minutes of my two year program where we talked about eating disorders. There was this group of um, I want to say kids. Like I was like older yeah. because. <laughs> I went into it later. Mm -hmm. Um, So a group of students, I guess, cohort, were sitting behind me, just couldn't stop gasping and laughing about, are you kidding? Eating disorders? Have you actually ever heard of anyone making themselves throw up? Like, what is wrong with people? (laughs) And I'm like, we're in school to be therapists. What? And I just remember looking at them like, how is this a thing? Anyways. Um, so yes, now I'm a therapist. I specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating. And I'm so passionate that sometimes I think I'm overly passionate. Um, I think of like the work that I do in this world as just, it's in every cell of my being. It's just who I am. And I, I guess I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, um, I just recently... Yeah, I recently (laughs) became um, a certified intuitive eating coach. So if anyone out there struggles with food or your body, you have disordered eating and eating disorder, or you want to lose weight, intuitive eating, intuitive eating is your answer. And intuitive eating isn't for weight loss, but just intuitive eating. Okay, Libby, since you're talking, uh, giving a little bit of advice, I would like for you to help like I said, educate us just a little bit um, in the last few minutes that we have. Yeah. So when people think about or talk about eating disorders, what do they get wrong? Like what, what would you like to see changed in the way we perceive and talk about this type of stuff? That's a good question. Okay. Well, the, one of the biggest things that if like anyone follows me on social media, you're so sick of hearing me say this. The problem is not the binge. The binge is a, is sorry, is a symptom of the restriction. The restriction is the problem. It stems from the restriction. So there's all the psychological stuff going on, right? Not always. Sometimes people have eating disorders truly because of just habitual things. Um, But it's the restriction. Most people think their restrictive self is their like good, healthy self. Like that's what I believed. I thought the binging was like, oh, that's the problem, but it stems from 
the restriction. So I think that's the, the biggest misconception. Okay, it's 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 more the what do I want to say consequence or a result of. Okay, so right, so so that's good. And you had told me when we talked before that the language we use um, there are updated terms that we should put in our vocabulary. So could you give us kind of some examples of that? Yes. And I never want to should on anybody. I like to say, don't should on me. So I'm not shooting on either of you. You're both lovely. Okay. And how, you, why would you, you don't know, know us? <laughs> You're awful. I hate this. should away. Um, should away. <laughs> so it's hard for me to even say this word out loud. Cause it's gut wrenching to me, but obesity mm. is a very bad word. So in my world, we call it the O word or we'll say kind of mouth it and use quotes. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, this is a podcast, you can't see me. Um, that word. So also another thing that a lot, not just, not just on your podcast, but most people in the world think people pleasing is a good thing. And it makes me really nice. No, that is not true. Mm -hmm. It makes you have a control problem, a control issue and it's codependency. I'm the number one codependent. So most people that have food and body issues have perfectionism, codependency, anxiety, and depression as well. Those are just, they kind of just come hand in hand. I have never once said anyone on the show was nice. I'm going to start by saying that. What I say is we're decent fucking humans, okay? You do say that. <laughs> we, we are decent fucking humans. And Libby, uh, guess what? I think you passed what? the decent fucking human test today. So I'm so glad. I'd say definitely. I'd say definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. I, I, yeah, if, if it was open, for, if if I left any questions about it, I meant you definitely are a decent fucking <laughs> human, uh, at least from everything that I've seen. And I am going to point out one last thing. I told you I was going to yes. come back to the mallard ducks that are in your background. Yeah. And I don't know what the comment was. Again, this was before yeah. we were recording. Um, and the Libby's background. Well, I think when Libby and I had determined you can easily value uh, a home by the number of uh, wooden ducks <laughs> that yeah. are present. And Scott, well, you seem to take issue with that. I took issue with that. When I was about, oh, eight, ten years old, I uh, my, someone gave me, and if I remember correctly, it was a classmate's father or grandfather carved a duck, a mallard. And, and somehow I ended up with it. I had no special affinity towards mallard duck, or ducks in general. And I was a weird little kid who was very, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I will say uh, I, was, I was a perfectionist. I was kind of anal. I had a duck in my room. Well, I wanted everything to match. I didn't necessarily like mallard ducks, but I had a mallard duck. So then suddenly everything in my room, my choice, turned into mallard ducks. I most definitely did not grow up rich. I absolutely um, actually didn't even care about mallard ducks, but things had to match. So in the last year, I got mallard duck um, slippers because I saw them and That's I was awesome. like, my sister loves to make fun of the mallard duck in me. So I, I got them and found myself accidentally taking my dog for a walk wearing them. Totally forgot recently. <laughs> That I was still in my slippers. That's so, so funny. So that was That's the funny. that was the important thing. the The main thing I wanted to get out on this podcast today. Everything was wonderful, but I wanted to get out the mallard ducks. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. I I think that you really set me up nicely there. Um, but Libby, I think we're at time. It's been wonderful having you on. You've been an amazing guest. Uh, I'm so glad you you came on and shared with us today. Thank you so much. And if anyone's listening and you want help, you can reach out. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. I have a therapy practice and I have a coaching practice. Maybe you'll give links in the show notes. I don't absolutely know will. What's yep. your website? What's the best place to reach you? Yeah. So LibbySupan.com is my website and all social media handles are food freedom with Libby. And I, again, very passionate about this work. I'm happy to talk to anyone and guide you in the direction, whether it's working with me or somebody else. All right. That's awesome. And 
You'll get two new followers at least. Dan and I <gasps> will Yay. go ahead and give you a follow. Um, but thank you again. Um, thank you. Like I said before, it's been amazing. You passed the decent fucking human test. Dan and I are grateful. We're honored. We're humbled by your willingness to share with us and our terrible listeners. And as always, this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica Fest I confess I was nervous and stressed Because I thought you were the best I was right And that night we got into a Rotterdam fight That I won, I shot you in the face It was fate, I offered you a spring You declined, I said keep it your might Decided to change your mind You did, yeah you did I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were